you can live out your MasterChef dreams. When you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside, repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take. Whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs, or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. Want to make sure you never miss a Chilling Tales for Dark Nights video again? Be sure to subscribe and hit that bell to turn on notifications. It's time to turn off the lights and turn on the dark. Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. Good evening, listener. You're listening to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. On tonight's very special program, we invite you to leave behind your safe reality and descend with us into the frightening depths of the most terrifying imaginations for the 100th time with audio adaptations of two rounds of frightening fiction about peculiar penitentiaries and garish greed. That's right, we've reached the big one zero zero. One hundred weeks of scares. One hundred weeks of time together during frightful times. And we certainly could not have gotten here without each and every one of you. It's a grand day for all. Also, as if that wasn't enough, 
Both of tonight's tales are Chilling Tales exclusives, meaning you won't have heard them anywhere else. I'm your host, Steve Taylor, and tonight I'll be your guide as we traverse the dimly lit corridors of your darkest dreams for the 100th time. Joining us tonight to help bring to life the frightening fiction of Alan McDaniels and Josh Hill are voice talents Jonathan West and Jesse Cornett. Now, get your ticket ready, take your seat in our theater of the minds, and brace yourself. It's time to turn off the lights and turn on the dark. Our first tale tonight comes to us from author Alan McDaniels and is performed by Chilling Tales for Dark Knight's voice talent, Jonathan West. In it, we will bear witness to what was supposed to be a normal day in the life of a corrections officer at Dead Rock Correctional Center. But his sense of normalcy soon warps into nightmarish proportions, with strange and evil enveloping the compound, causing Dustin to question everything he thought he knew. Without further ado, I present to you, The Prison. It began as another dreadful day working overtime in the hellish place we called home. Dead Rock Correctional Center, a place where we sent tormented souls to suffer until the end of time. I was just 21 when I started, still green behind the ears. My soul was still intact with shimmers of hope in my eyes. Five years later, what was once a hopeful young man seeing opportunity now stares at his neatly pressed black uniform with disgust, seeing only shackles. The shortage of staff has officers working on their days off, and today, on this dark, sunless summer day, my time has come. I was always a bigger boy than others, not around the belly, but around the shoulders. My father said I was a giant among men, put on this earth to defend. It only seemed natural that I should step into such an environment. I was used to being short-staffed, having to run around by myself conducting searches and breaking up the occasional fight. However, today we seem to have a lively shift. Enough people to do what they please, no sense to rush around for anything. And yet, here I was, standing when I could have had my head buried in my pillow. They rock housed various men who had all done some bad. However, it varied in sickness. Housing 1,500 men in only five buildings, we separated them per their, uh shall I say illness? A and B building were petty offenses, drugs, drinking in public, simple fights and so on. C and D were the hardcore guests, those who had murdered rival gang members, assaulted women and children, and dealt with the hardcore distribution of drugs. E building, well, <laughs> that was another breed. Mentally ill residents were housed there, the twisted souls who lost their right to humanity long ago. Nearly all had done something unspeakable, I mean, something cruel. Some of their stories would send chills down your spine and have you running for the hills, or for a weapon to put them down with, depending on your stance. Despite its occupants, E-Building was often silent. All inmates were heavily dosed and kept docile for their, frankly, ah, safety. All the savage men rounded up into one prison watched over like a hawk with prey. By a warden, we like to call a devil. Today, I get the privilege to work in a D-Building, the upper floor which was known to house various gang members who had committed the sin of murder. 
Any sane man would refuse to walk into such a room with a uniform that acted as a target to a pack of marksmen. However, in this field, there is no room for frivolous things such as fear. I began up the concrete steps and immediately felt the hot, sour air crash against my face. I hadn't reached the entrance to the pod before beads of sweat began trickling down my shaven head and caught between the trimmed hairs of my Perhaps it was stress that called for my brown hair to retreat quickly, or maybe poor genetics were the root cause. Regardless, I threw in a towel long ago and just simply picked up the habit to shave it. My beard was my pride and joy. I kept it within policy, no longer than an inch long and neatly combed and groomed. At first, I'd assumed I'd be mocked for having such a look at such a young age. However, all I got was, it suits you, and uh, gave up quick, huh? My job today was to be the floor officer for upper D control. I'd be conducting the rounds and ensuring peace was kept. I'd worked in this building several times in my five years of service. The inmates all knew me, and despite their crimes, typically gave me no trouble. Instead, most of my time was spent listening to them complain about various things, including politics, family, and other inmates. Often felt more like a counselor than an officer, but I consider those good days. Inside the control room was Officer Jones, a young woman just a few years older than me with pale skin and bright red hair that barely kissed her collar. No one called her by her last name. Always, for as long as I can recall, we addressed her as Red. Then I shifted already left. Now it was up to us to keep the place together for 12 hours. In the end, that was all that mattered. The count had already cleared, and doors began to open with inmates running out to occupy the showers, phones, and seats where card games were previously set up. Ready for another day in hell? Red asked, looking away from the computer. I picked up a radio and placed it on my side, adjusting it slightly before looking up at her. Yes, ma'am. Let's make the best of it. The day went on as regular. First breakfast call, then med call. By noon, they all went between a yard and lunch. The pod was virtually empty when I made my rounds. Still, I performed my job as normal, making sure nothing was out of place, and those that did remain complied with our guidelines. All in all, it was going well so far. Just a normal day in a dreadful compound referred to by staff and residents as the Prison of the Damned. It was a little past two as the inmates returned from lunch when Dead Rock earned its nickname. I was standing in a booth talking to Red about my wishes to be out on a lake somewhere far away, basking in the sun as the warm breeze brushed my face when chaos erupted. All at once, several inmates began fighting. Even though it had just started, I could already see blood being spilled from faces by wailing fists. I hurried out the door while she called in a code alerting others of the disturbance. Outside, I withdrew my pepper spray in my left hand and my baton in my right. I entered the pod while only a few paid me notice as the sounds of rage filled the air. Kicking and the slamming of fists sent various bodies flying. Some even used weapons to ensure their opponents stood no chance of winning. I barked an order for them to stop, but no one gave notice. I growled, feeling my anger bellow within me as my feet planted firmly on the cold concrete floor. Enough, or I'll see to it you all go on lockdown for a month. A few cast their eyes on me and withdrew, but others remained locked in combat. Talking would not fix this. I learned that from incidents before. The sound of stomping sent my eyes back to the entrance as reinforcements stormed in. Seven more officers rushed in like the hounds of hell, snapping their jaws for a taste of flesh. Denying them a meal, I unleashed my can of pepper spray upon the several still brawling. In an instant, all fell to the floor, screaming out as their sight was taken from them, and a burning sensation filled their nose, mouth, and eyes. 
My reinforcements almost said that I ended the fight so quickly. Join my side, and then like a pack of hunters, we spread out to collect our trophies. We handcuffed them all in a matter of seconds, and the others began to take them away to be examined by medical personnel before being thrown in the hole. The hole was a place of absolute madness. A dark room where the only company you had were your demons. Most men who enter Dead Rock are already twisted and accustomed to the dark world around us, yet none have ever braved the hole voluntarily. An hour later, after explaining to my superiors the situation, I was back in the booth writing up my report. Red was on break and then to report to medical to assist with the processing. Alone and with a silent pod now on lockdown, I was able to do my work in peace. It was a rare gift in a place such as this. As I wrote my report recollecting every detail of the fight and my actions, I felt eyes staring at me. A sickening feeling rose in my gut as I pried my gaze from my work, staring into the window that looked out upon the pod. The inmates all stood at their doors, staring through the small gaps, all of them looking at me. I usually would growl and return to my work, but this was different. Something was different. Something was wrong. Their eyes were all black as coal and skin pale as sheets of snow. My heart began to pound as I stared into the vast, twisted souls who seemed to sense my unnerve and lick their lips in hunger. My hands began to tremble, and my body shook as if I felt something I hadn't felt in years. Fear. I pulled myself away only to be caught by something else. The monitor hanging above the computer had begun flashing. Normally it was positioned on an angle that would show everyone looking at the yard where inmates went to experience fresh air. However, now, it was changing faster than my eyes could keep up. Fear was replaced by confusion, and I almost questioned if this was some prank before the monitor finally settled on a screen. It was medical. I could tell immediately by seeing a nurse standing in the camera's direct view. Though it was only in black and white, I could easily fill in the color gap and would recognize the nurse's blue scrubs anywhere. It was just a standard view if one were to cast a quick glance, but while I studied the monitor, it revealed a dark scenario that genuinely represented the name Prison of the Dam. The nurse held a pair of long scissors and was swinging them at figures. I could only catch a slight glimpse of arms and legs, mostly, with the occasional head poking out. She was standing in front of something... N no, someone. Behind her was a body wearing formal clothes, laying still but for the minor twitch of a leg a dark pool underneath them spreading across the floor. I quickly grabbed my radio and called a code advising them of the situation and that staff was in desperate need of help. As someone was seriously injured, I waited for the questions. I waited for the phone to ring, to hear screaming, panicking voices asking me what I know. But instead, I was greeted by silence. Whispers began to trickle into my ears as I looked up to see the inmates still staring at me, licking their lips. I turned my radio up but only caught the shuffling sound of static. Quickly I tried to phone, but my heart sank as a dead tone rang through my ears, sending a cold, deadly quiver through my core. I did what I think most would do with no other way to contact anyone and unable to leave. I watched. The nurse was no longer wielding scissors but instead held what appeared to be a can of gasoline in which she spilled out on the floor, then collapsed to her knees and with her bloody palms scrubbed as if trying to clean it up. Confusion and fear swept me, but still I was compelled to see how this ended, how this madness unraveled. The radio spoke with a voice so soft and so frightened, my heart leapt as I clutched it tightly. Please. A whispering female begged from the depths of a sorrowful soul. Please help my sister. Before I could press a key to respond, 
another voice broke free. This one dark and low, loud and violent, shouting, Damned! I nearly threw the radio to the floor hearing a voice screaming at me, It continued booming louder than I could ever have imagined, the voice almost animalistic in sound. It repeated over and over before I was forced to turn it off and slam my head down in shame, fighting the urge to let tears of fear drench my cheeks. Sound from the monitor caused my head to snap back up. Normally, this doesn't happen. This sound went out years ago, and no one ever gotten around to fixing it. Yet here, right now, at this moment, I could hear a baby. Yeah, a baby's cries. Looking up, I saw a white-haired elderly woman with skin sagging in the texture of leather. She wore pants but was topless as she pressed an infant baby to her chest and began feeding it to soften its cries. The impossibility of it all caused my head to spin. The inmates who only stared now shouted. They threw various things at the window to taunt me, to encourage me to retreat. They knew, somehow, they knew what was happening and knew I was afraid. They could smell it like a shock to blood. They could sense it. And they must, because now they howled like wolves to the moon. The elderly woman shuffled out of view as a stretcher rolled in. No one pushed it. It glided with ease, and I could almost hear the wheels grind and squeak. The foam padding was distorted and misshapen, and I had to squint my eyes to get a better view. I could see now what appeared to be a face pressing through the foam, as if it were about to burst free. The mouth opened wide and I could only imagine screams of terror were trapped in the padding. Two hands pressed hard against the foam padding of the stretcher and began clawing from the inside. As I watched, I could see small tears begin to form and black pus seep out. As I watched in horror, the figure continued to claw, trying to free itself, and three small figures crawled up from the legs of the stretcher. They were tiny, like infants, only their hands were larger with long, sharp claws on both their hands and feet. Their skin was a dark gray color with void sockets instead of eyes. Their tiny mouths filled with razor-sharp teeth in which they snapped open and shut as they crawled along the stretcher like cockroaches to a wall. One of them tilted its gray head back and sniffed before gurgling in delight and ripping into the padding. The two others followed as chunks of padding began filling the air. I watched. Unsure of anything at this point, as the savage demonic creatures tore into the stretcher like wolves into the fresh carcass of prey. Black liquid erupted from the stretcher as collected screams of men and women filled the air. I flew back, unable to take any more of this madness. The inmates bellowed in triumph, watching me collapse out of the chair onto the floor. I couldn't understand what they were saying, but soon all the inmates began chanting in unison. Foreign words that filled the air then tormented my ears. The sound of pounding and laughter as they banged their fists into the doors. I was ready to give in. I wanted this to be over and I would do whatever I could to end. I looked over to a box of items that we had confiscated from inmates when my eyes landed on a simple razor. Before the idea could process in my mind, the booth door swung open. My head jerked over, my fist raised in defense as I felt warm tears slowly run down my cheeks. I was ready for anything. When I saw Red return with another co-worker behind her, a look of confusion on her face as she stared at me, her friend and fearless co-worker, now cradled in a ball, crying in the corner. What happened? She asked, concerned, rushing over. Words failed me as I tried to explain the nightmare I'd experienced. Instead, 
I pointed a trembling finger to the monitor that still showed the insanity I watched moments ago. She raised a brow, walking over. I expected her to scream, but instead, she turned back to me, still confused, and walked over. Kneeling beside me, she placed a hand on my shoulder. I'm taking you to see the captain, she said with a calm tone. Anger and frustration flew through me. Why didn't she freak out as I did? Did she not see the same screen as me? Have I lost my mind? The inmate still howled in glee as she led me outside of control. It was not until we were headed down the stairs that the sound seemed to fade out. I noticed black ooze seeping from the walls, but I held my tongue, not trying to make matters worse. However, I couldn't stop my body from trembling. She guided me into the entryway and I saw a shot at freedom. Part of me wanted to run and escape the scenes I saw that would no doubt be woven deeply into my mind forever. As I took a step outside, I noticed the thick, red, angry clouds replacing the sky with a dark orb hidden behind them that was still able to cast slightly through. After all I've seen, I had no time to concern myself with the weather as we walked the forever stretching boulevard. Screams echoed in the distance as I turned my eyes to the E-building placed in the far rear of the compound. Regardless of its distance, I could see figures on all fours, wearing no more than rags, running in seemingly circles in front of the building. They were screaming as an officer stood over them, holding what appeared to be a whip, lashing out at them, laughing to himself. I went to say something when the sky above us cracked with a loud boom of thunder. Looking up, I saw the red clouds darken as the sound of rain rushed down on us. At first, I welcomed it. There's a sense of cleansing, if you will. Not seconds after the first drop, I sensed something was horribly wrong. It wasn't raining. I was being pelted by tiny drops of thick, hot, red blood. I gasped, stumbling back when Red grabbed a hold of me, securing me. What has gotten into you? She asked, staring at me with concern. I shook my head, unable to speak as I watched the blood run down her pale skin, clogging up her hair and running down her face. She ignored my frantic expression and pulled me towards a building a few feet away, the supervisor's office. We reached the doors as more screams filled my ears from the residence of Building E. Inside, I felt the air seize my throat as I nearly collapsed. Red managed to hold me up, but not before calling out for assistance. I looked up to see a strangely tall, dark-skinned man wearing a fine press uniform and hat walking from an office. His face was cold and mean, his brown eyes filled with rage. Captain Mass, who we often referred to as Captain Massacre due to his love for violence, stopped with a roar almost as loud as thunder towards us. He stopped a few feet from us before casting an irritated look at me. What is his malfunction? Red shook her head and shrugged her shoulders as my eyes stayed fixed on the blood now drying on her cheeks. With a single hand, he reached down and pulled me up, dragging me to his office. I didn't fight. I had no more fight left to give. I was gone. My body had used up all the fear I had left and left me with a sense of numbness. I watched as Red stood eyeing me with concern and confusion. I wanted to call out to her, but before my brain could give the order, I was in Captain Massacre's office, and just as fast, that door slammed shut. He sat me down and took his place in a nice black leather chair at a long red oak desk with various monitors laid before him some of which I could still catch a glimpse of the horror that had taken place in medical. What is your problem, son? He asked, overlapping his hands on the desk, staring at me. I just sat there, at first unsure what to say. You know, perhaps I lost my mind, 
All of this was in my head, and to everyone else, this was a normal day. Frustrated I hadn't answered, he leaned in and repeated the question, this time with a lower, angry tone. Demons, I said before my brain could even process it. He raised a brow at me before leaning back in his chair. Come again, he asked, almost intrigued by my response. I felt tears build up within me, and in seconds I recalled all that happened while fresh tears trickled down my cheeks. He listened to every word, not interrupting me once, nor did he give me any true facial expression that I could use to determine any thoughts he might have had. Once I finished, the room was filled with silence. He just sat there, staring at me. After what seemed like an eternity, he nodded, picking up a phone beside him, and dialed a number. Do you think I'm crazy? I asked with a trembling voice. He brushed my question aside as I could hear the phone ring. After the third ring, I could hear a woman answer the phone. Yes, hello, this is Captain Mass. He paused, casting his brown eyes at me for a moment. I have one who needs orientation. He said, his voice calm, as if this was just an ordinary problem he'd faced thousands of times. Yes, ma'am, that is correct. He added before nodding to himself and hanging up the phone. He took a deep breath before returning his attention back to me, overlapping his hands once more. Tell me your name. I scoffed, offended by the question, but nonetheless I answered. Dustin Miller. I croaked. He nodded. What is your occupation? He asked, a brow slightly raised. I looked around, confused by his line of question. This had nothing to do with what I saw. He must have sensed my frustration because he leaned in and once more repeated the question. I'm a correctional officer at the prison of the damned. I snarled, only moments too late to realize I used Dead Rock's nickname rather than its official title. I caught a smirk on his face in my words, but before I could respond, I heard three knocks at the door behind me before the door swung open and a figure appeared. It was a woman wearing an all-red dress suit, white shirt, and blood-red tie. Her short blonde hair cut neat with a pair of harsh yet kind blue eyes. This is Susan Flame from Human Resources. She is here for the orientation process. The woman nodded and took a step into the room before closing the door. I don't need an orientation. I've been here for five years, I shouted defensively. It is completely understandable, Mr. Miller. You would be surprised how many times this process must be completed, she said in a flat tone. As she walked over to an empty chair, I raised a brow. She swatted away imaginary dust before taking a seat. Can you tell me your name? She asked. Dustin Miller. I roared angrily. She nodded in response and quickly looked over at Captain Mass. How old are you? She asked. Twenty-six. I growled, still angry. She nodded once more, looking over at the clock on the wall as if she had other places to be. How did you die? The question hit me like a train. What kind of sick joke was she playing? Excuse me? I bellowed at her, looking over at my captain for support. Answer the question. Captain Mass insisted. There is no answer. I'm not dead, you idiot. I roared, no longer caring about any of this madness, just wanting to be free of this and return to my bed. I see. She said, taking a sigh. Would you like for me to leave? Captain Mass asked her. She shook her head and then looked at me. I don't see the need for such formalities here, she replied. 
I stared at the two with complete shock, not sure what to make of any of this. She turned to a filing cabinet near and opened a drawer. After a few moments of shuffling, she pulled out a file and set it on a table. She opened a vanilla folder and began reading to herself for a moment. After a few seconds of infuriating silence, she looked up at me. Dustin Miller worked at Riverbank Correctional Center until the age of 26. He passed during a riot. I looked at her, tears building in my eyes. What the hell are you on about? Right word, wrong context. She tisked. Think about it. Let the words sink in. You were young, fearless, charged in to save one of your co-workers, but you ignored what was happening. Captain Mass added. I turned to him and went to yell, but before I could, my brain began spinning. In seconds, I saw images of a massive crowd of inmates swarming officers with weapons. I blinked, unsure what to make of it. I see we're getting somewhere, Susan smiled. But I'm alive, I croaked. Captain Mass shook his head. Sorry, son. We all bite the bullet someday. You bit yours when you went to help co-workers who were already lost. You suffered wounds that no doctor could heal, at that time at least. He sighed, almost remorseful. I went to argue once more when my stomach flared up with pain that I somehow felt before. It felt as if my insides were being twisted and yanked out. I screamed out in agony before balling up in the chair. It will pass once the memory is complete. Susan said, not concerned by my pain. I wanted to curse, scream, and start fighting, but the pain was unbearable. As it heightened, I nearly collapsed onto the floor with memories flooding my brain. Sounds of screaming and laughter filled my ears. Codes being called, pleading, and begging. The sight of me rushing in to help a female officer when something sharp and cold plunged into my gut. I jerked back in my chair. The pain was gone just as swiftly as it came. I'm dead. I moan. Both Susan and Captain Mass nodded in unison at my words. I'm in hell, I frowned. Yes, of sorts. Susan nodded. As a correctional officer, you know how to control people. You were useful, and being that you lacked faith, you were a suitable candidate for the job. She added with a slight smile and a nod. Not enough Sundays in church. Captain Mass grinned. I didn't say anything. How could I? How do you respond to something like that? It's fine, Mr. Miller. This happens every so often. Sometimes we forget who we are and are sucked back into a life we left. It happens more than you know. All we have to do is simply remind someone of their situation and everything is settled. Susan said, How could she say it so easily? I answered before I could even realize, because it really was that easy. Just that simple. So, who are you? Captain Mass asked, raising a brow. I felt my stomach tighten slightly and my heart begin to race before I took a deep breath and sat back in my chair, keeping my back straight. I closed my eyes, thinking for a moment, before opening them to answer his question. I'm Officer Dustin Miller, and I guard the damn souls of hell. The 
The Angie's List You Know and Trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. I hope you enjoyed The Prison, as written by Alan McDaniels and performed by the incomparable Chilling Tales for Dark Nights voice talent, Jonathan West. To find more of author Alan McDaniels, visit simplyscarypodcast.com slash McDaniels, spelled M-C-D-A-N-I-E-L-S, and you'll be directed to his author profile on creepypastastories.com. Jonathan West's performances can also be found right here on our very own network through his podcast, Horror Hill, now in its fourth season. Check him out, subscribe, and leave a kind word or review. Be sure to let him know you heard him here. You won't be sorry that you did. Up next, we've got a second sinister story for you, as written by Josh Hill and performed by Jesse Cornett. In it, we'll meet Dave Turner, a man struggling with a weakness at its most primal form, greed. There's an old adage, oh, y'all know how I love those, that says money talks. Well, I'm pretty sure that this wasn't what they meant. Stick around to find out what I mean. Now, without further ado, I present to you The Briefcase. Dave Turner screeched his car to a halt at the local gas station after work. The sun had not even risen yet and he was exhausted. He sat in his car for a second and listened to the radio. The news was always about depressing stuff. The broadcasters were saying something about a father who had killed his family and then himself. Dave 
switched the channel to some music. Stories like these always made him sadder. He shoved open the door of his late 90s sedan and fished around in his pocket for his wallet. He stepped up to the gas pump and sighed. His sunken eyes watched as the numbers on the pump ticked up. He released the pump with a sigh of relief when he felt that he had enough gas for the week and shook the last remaining drops left in the hose into the tank. Free gas, he thought to himself. He went inside to pay and pulled out his sad little wallet. A pretty cashier greeted him with a smile. Hello and welcome to... Oh, hey Dave. Patty, he replied with a nod. A fake smile plastered on his face. Everyone at this gas station and convenience store knew his name. He spent many hours here buying groceries. Dave looked around at the candy and chocolate. He knew he didn't have the money to treat himself. Debit? Patty said, tapping away at her computer. Dave imagined her leaning over the counter and giving him a big kiss. He had not even touched a woman since his wife took his daughter and left him not even five years ago. They were happily married for many years until his wife kept getting promotions and raises while Dave was still working his underpaid and overworked cleaning job at a local high school. He became very lazy. He would spend his wife's money on useless things seen on TV ads, impulsively picking up the phone anytime he saw a new infomercial that piqued his interest. His ex-wife was beautiful, way too good for Dave, who began balding at the age of 28, three years before having their daughter. He still remembers the day of her birth, taking the day off work to visit his wife in the hospital and later feeling numb as his wife told him she would be taking their newborn daughter to an undisclosed location across the state and shoving divorce papers in his face. Credit, please, Dave replied, looking down at his feet. He could see his socks poking through holes in his shoes. He always felt bad using the credit card, but he knew his debit would just be declined. He always pretended that it was just a mistake, but he knew full well it was because he was poor. Dave hated the word poor. It made him feel useless. Alrighty, that'll be 3876 on Pump 2. She handed the debit machine over to Dave, whose filthy yellow nails scratched the back of it as he took it from her. Dave inserted his credit card. He coughed into his left hand as he typed in his pen with his right. He dragged his feet back to his car, making eye contact with a man who was pumping gas into a sleek-looking sports car. He thought of the things he would do for a car like that as he pulled on the rusted handle of his driver's side door. The door opened on the third hard pull, and he slumped down on the seat. Dave knew he had no dinner tonight. He always told himself there would be something to eat the next night. He pulled out of the gas station and headed up the road. He felt his eyes drooping shut as he pulled up to a red light. Not a single other soul on the road. 
feeling a little down, are ya? A raspy voice to his right said, <laughs> Dave jumped to attention and yelled. He felt the warm breath on his face as he turned to see he had a new passenger. What the, where did you come from? Dave shouted in the pale and hairless creature's face. It had a round head that wore a goofy smile and its thin, papery lips curled around the tiny baby teeth lining its mouth. Its eyes were little black dots that seemed to look in two different ways. Two tiny slits where the nose should be were widening and tightening with each shallow breath it took. It was wearing a suit that looked like it had been run over by more than a couple of cars. The suit was way too big for it and covered half of its bony hands, which were equally as pale as its face and were wrapped tightly around a briefcase that sat on its lap. The creature extended its hand robotically towards Dave, who recoiled in fear. The beast let its hand hang in front of Dave's face as if it were waiting for a big, friendly handshake. Nice to meet you, Davey. <laughs> the figure said. Dave was too stunned to move. The light was green, but he was frozen in fear. It's okay, Davey boy. I'm here to help. I'm your friend. <laughs> the voice emanated from the being in front of him. The moving of its lips did not match the words coming from it. Its silver tongue thrashing around in its mouth looked like it was trying to escape, not trying to create words. <laughs> What are you? And, and... Dave stuttered. The creature moved a bony finger up to Dave's lips, shushing him. His nose and lungs burned from the stench. The creature moved its hand back over to the briefcase and slowly opened the metal clips. The creature turned the briefcase towards Dave and opened it. Stacks and stacks of $100 bills made Dave's eyes widen. They were smooth and clean as though they had just been printed. Dave was speechless. For lack of a better word, the creature closed the briefcase once more and clicked the clips back shut. It turned face Dave with a wide smile. This can be all yours. It hissed to Dave. Huh. How? Dave stuttered. We have to have a little fun. Do you like games, Davey? Everybody loves games. <laughs> Just tell me... You're ready to play. Huh? I'm ready to play? Dave said mindlessly, stricken by greed. 
He wanted the money. He needed the money. The creature looked forward again and motioned for Dave to begin driving. A little ways up the street, it spoke again. Pull over here. Dave did as the creature asked, still scared but ready to earn some cash. Dave noticed the creature was staring out the passenger window. He craned his neck to see what it was looking at. A homeless man was hunched over, leaning against an antique store wall, a hat lying on the ground in front of him, filled with change. I want you to go up to that filthy beggar and spit in his face. The creature said with a look of joy on its lips. Dave did not reply. He furrowed his brow, a look of sadness on his face. He glanced down at the creature's lap. It was pulling out stacks of money. It held a stack of 100s up to Dave, his eyes widening as he read the band around them. One thousand dollars. It had been too long since he had even seen that much money. Dave nodded and opened his door. It squeaked open and the homeless man looked up at him. His gray beard glistened in the moonlight and his sad eyes met with Dave's equally painful eyes. He stopped before the man, who attempted to give a friendly smile. Dave closed his eyes and took a deep breath before spitting on the beggar's face. The beggar winced and reached for his face. His frail arms shook as he raised them. The beggar was too hungry or too stunned to do much more than shield his face from Dave who stood over him with a dominating presence. Dave turned around when he heard the window of his car being rolled down. A bony hand emerged from the darkness, holding a stack of $1,000. He snatched it as if it would disappear at any second, grazing the ice-cold skin of the creature. He then walked around the front of his car and headed back towards the door. Wait, the creature said. Dave glanced over and saw that it was holding much more money out the window, waving it in his direction. He headed back around and reached for the money. It had to have been at least $10,000. Uh, 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 not yet. The creature said, its voice screeching like nails on a chalkboard. Take his hat. Without even thinking, Dave took the beggar's hat off the ground. It was heavy with change. He turned back towards his car and was ready to grab his money when the creature spoke again. Now, beat him with it. What? No, I'm, I'm not going to... Dave stopped mid-sentence as the creature began digging into the briefcase once more and pulled out even more money. It glanced down at the cash 
then back at Dave. The creature knew he wanted it. He knew he needed it. Dave reached down and felt the stack of bills in his pocket. He knew he wanted more. He knew he needed more. Most importantly, he knew what he had to do. Dave bent down and picked up the beggar's hat. He pulled the bottom of the hat shut so no change would fall out and gripped it tightly, looking down at the broken man at his feet. He raised the hat full of change above his head and slammed it full force on top of the man's head. A lap erupted from behind him and adrenaline flowed through his body. The man's head flew back against the wall with a crack. Dave could smell blood as he swung the hat back and forth across the man's face. He felt terrible, but at the same time thought of how well off he was going to be. He continued to swing until the man's beard was no longer gray, but instead a deep shade of red. Ooh, very nice. (laughs) The creature said smugly, handing Dave 13 more stacks of cash through the window. Dave's heart was pumping and tears were flowing down his face as he headed back towards the car. He fumbled the stacks of cash in his arms. An hour ago, he barely had enough money for gas. Now, he could buy a new car. He tossed the money in his back seat and looked over at the creature whose face was smiling wider than ever. Uh, You can go home and get a good rest. You've earned it. The creature uttered. Dave nodded and continued towards his apartment. He leaned his rearview mirror down to look at all the cash in the back seat. He pulled up in front of his unit and was surprised when the creature followed him up the steps of the apartment building. What? I need a place to stay too. It said to him when he glanced back. Dave shrugged and continued up to his floor. The creature slinked behind him, taking long strides. It walked as though it were a puppet, pulled by unseen strings from above. Dave fumbled around with his keys and then opened the door. His eyes were met with the side of his tiny apartment. I only have one bed and no couch, Dave said. I don't know what you want me to do. I'll be fine, the creature replied with a goofy smile on its face. Dave climbed into bed and tried to relax. The creature found an empty corner of the room and just stood there perfectly still, facing Dave's bed. It was hard for him to sleep that night. Although the creature's beady little eyes were both going in different directions, 
it always felt like it was staring right at him. Right through him. It just stood perfectly still in the corner, its bony hands curled around the briefcase. Its suit looked ridiculous, two sizes too big. Dave finally got to sleep and was awoken by his alarm clock at 10 a.m. He always sleeps in. Working the night shift awarded him that privilege. He climbed out of bed and noticed that the creature was no longer in the corner. Puzzled, he made his way to the kitchen. The creature was sitting awkwardly at his little kitchen table, its knees together but its feet wide apart. Morning. It nodded at Dave with a grin. Dave nodded back and stared into his cupboard. The empty cupboard stared back. His stomach growled. Uh, I'm gonna go get some food, Dave said to the creature who was now standing. I know, it replied. The creature followed closely behind Dave from the door all the way to the car. Dave opened the trunk just to stare at his newfound riches. A smile crept across his face as he stared. No one even looked twice at the lanky, creepy-looking, hairless, beady-eyed man beside him. Dave went through the McDonald's drive through He paid for his breakfast with his credit card as McDonald's did not accept $100 bills. He began down the road before hearing rustling to his right. He glanced over and saw the creature digging through the briefcase. Nearly its entire arm was covered by the briefcase. It seemed impossibly deep. The creature was pulling out fistfuls and fistfuls of money and placing them on the console in between Dave and itself. How's about we go on a road trip? It muttered, turning to face Dave. If it means I get all that, you're on, Dave said with a smile. For the first time in a very long time, Dave was happy. They were driving for what seemed like forever. Minutes turned into hours and silence made Dave's ears ring. Occasionally, the creature would speak, telling Dave where to turn and what highway exits to take. He did not even know how much money was sitting beside him, but he knew he wanted it. He knew he needed it. Almost there. The creature said with a smile, just after Dave got off the phone, this trip required him to call in sick to work. Not even ten more minutes would go by before the creature spoke again. There. The creature growled. It pointed its bony finger at a beautiful house in the countryside. A man had just stepped out of a bright red sports car and headed inside. Now we wait. The creature said, Dave sat in silence with his new companion. As the sun finally went down past the trees, the creature clicked open the briefcase and reached into it. Instead of money this time, its hands re-emerged 
with a knife. It was nearly a foot long and must have been the very definition of sharp. It looked like something straight out of an old horror movie. Dave imagined Michael Myers walking down a hallway with it in his hand. You will kill this family and you will get the rest of the money. The creature said in a gravelly tone, handing the knife to Dave. Handle first. His breath got caught in his throat, and he winced when he heard this. The words cut more profoundly than the knife ever could. Kill a, a family? Dave spoke quietly. Beating up an old beggar was bad enough, but I could never kill someone. The creature smirked when Dave said this. He reached for the radio dial and turned it. The radio hummed to life, and the news began to play. A homeless man was found beaten this morning, said the reporter on the radio. He was rushed to the hospital but suffered fatal head injuries and was pronounced dead today at 10 a.m. If anyone has any information on this, please... Dave slammed his fist into the dial and shut the radio off. His heart sank. He had killed that poor man. The creature was looking at him. Dave was looking the opposite way, but he knew it was staring at him. He could feel it. No, we are driving back, Dave declared. Put the car in drive and was about to leave when he heard a shaking sound coming from the creature. It had turned the briefcase upside down and was shaking out money. The money filled his car. The thing reached its skinny arms around the back of the seat and shook the briefcase out into the back seat. Stacks of money, millions, were pouring out. Dave remembered all the unpaid credit card debt he remembered the power to his room being cut off for weeks when he could not pay his rent. He remembered all the sleepless nights where his belly was so empty it felt like a thousand needles were stabbing his insides, causing him to roll and wince in pain. He put the car back into park. Holy... Dave exclaimed. The creature looked back at him with a crooked grin. It'll be quick, you know. The creature said through gritted teeth. In and out. <laughs> Dave's heart was racing. This is enough money to disappear, get a whole new identity, buy your own island if you want. <laughs> the creature said with a laugh. The whole time it was speaking, cash was pouring out of the briefcase until the back seat of Dave's car packed. The creature got out and began scooping more money into its arms and began to line the trunk with stacks of money. Dave got out too and watched as the creature neatly put the bills in the back of his car. When the entire trunk was also full, 
The creature closed the trunk and turned towards Dave. <laughs> How about this? The creature muttered. You do this, and I'll just give you the briefcase. <laughs> While the animal was talking, it turned the briefcase to face Dave. Somehow, it was still full, packed to the brim with stacks of $100 bills. Dave didn't say a word. He went back to his car door, swung it open, reached in, and grabbed the knife. He crept towards the house, shrouded by darkness, not even a doubt in his mind. He was met by a security camera and a keypad lock. Dave did not care if the camera saw him or not. He would disappear after this was done. He would no longer be Dave Turner, the bald and lonely janitor. He would be a new man, a very wealthy man. He jammed the knife into the crack of the door multiple times, pulling and slicing at the door trying to get it open. When the door finally opened, Dave was met with a pleasant smell. Homes always have their own distinct smells to them, and this smell was pleasant, even familiar. It made Dave feel at home. Dave crept up the stairs, stopping and looking around with every creak and groan the wood under his feet would make. He made it to the top after what seemed like a while. He wanted this to be quick and easy. No time for anything to go wrong. The baby was the hardest not the hardest in terms of work. The knife cut through the toddler's delicate skin like it was nothing. Dave felt the warmth of her blood on his hands as he watched the knife slide across her throat. The knife did all the work. Dave felt like he was but a passenger along for the ride. As Dave crept toward the parents' room, he could almost swear his pockets felt heavier. The cash would soon be his. There was a small window in the hallway on the way to the parents' room. He glanced out at his sad little car. The car was a foot higher at the front than it was at the back. The cash in the trunk was so heavy that the back wheels were tilted outwards as the axle strained to support Dave's riches. The door creaked, and so did the floor as Dave stepped towards the bed. The husband was laying on his back, snoring loudly with his head slightly elevated by two pillows, which were stacked under his neck. He didn't even move when the knife pierced into his breast. It felt as though Dave was cutting butter. He had not cut butter in a while. Butter was too expensive. Dave checked the man's pulse. Two down, one to go, he thought. Dave made his way to the other side of the bed, guided by greed and a razor-sharp knife. The wife was fully under the covers, her head resting in the crevice of the husband's arm. He plunged the knife down, sighing with relief. <sighs> Dave gripped the blood-soaked comforter and pulled it down. He grabbed the woman by the hair and pulled her up, feeling for a pulse. Dave froze. 
dropping the woman's head back down as he whimpered. He sprinted out of the door and down the hall, tears streaming down his face. He turned back into the child's bedroom. He saw a friendly-looking caterpillar painted on the wall, only slightly illuminated by the Tinkerbell nightlight humming in the corner. He rushed over to the bed, picked up the child, and held her close. The room reeked of blood and tears. He brushed the hair out of his daughter's eyes and cried until he had no more tears left to give. Stumbling down the stairs, he tripped over his feet on his way out the door. Dave hopped in the car and started to drive as fast as he could. Every time he blinked, he could see the lifeless faces of both his ex-wife and his daughter with a look in their eyes, asking him, Why? The tires on his little sedan screeched as he pulled into the parking lot of a liquor store. Dave decided to drink until he was so numb that he forgot everything. His feet dragged on the way to the back of the car, and he groaned as he lifted the back of his trunk. He peered into it as emptiness looked back at him. Dave's heart began racing. Where was it? The briefcase. The money. It was only then that Dave felt the total emotional weight of his actions. He buried his face into his hands, attempting to cry, but his tear ducts had run as dry as his mouth. The man fell to his knees, crawling back to the door of his car. It took all the energy he had left in him to pry open the door. He stood up. Well, at least he tried. His knees were so wobbly that the best he could do was a half squat. But a half squat was all he needed to grab the knife and slide it across his blood-dyed wrists. Dave felt no pain in his wrists. It was all in his heart. He slumped down and sprawled onto the ground beside his car, looking up into the night sky in a pool of blood. He felt his eyelids begin to droop. First, one eye closed, then the other. Next, they both suddenly opened. His eyes needed no time to adjust the light in front of him. He was in the passenger seat of a car, his bony hands wrapped tightly around a briefcase that was sitting in his lap. A goofy smile spread across his face. His thin, papery lips curled around his tiny baby teeth as his tongue thrashed around in his mouth. He turned toward the driver of the car, who stared back at him with fear. Dave wanted to play a game. He needed to play a game.
I hope you enjoyed The Briefcase, as written by Josh Hill and voiced by the amazing vocal actor and sound producer, Jesse Cornett. If you enjoyed Mr. Cornett's performance, you can hear more of him on the amazing No Sleep Podcast, where his vocal performances and audio productions are available for your enjoyment. Check them out and be sure to let him know that Steve Taylor sent you. I love Jesse, and it would mean a lot to me personally. Now, our weekly descent into the depths has just about come to a close. But before we go, I'd like to take a moment to thank you for joining us for tonight's 100th episode and remind you to take a moment to stop by our iTunes page and leave Chilling Tales for Dark Nights a five-star review and a kind word and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram if you haven't already. And of course, subscribe to us on YouTube where you can find an archive of our work going back to 2012 and consider signing up as a patron at our website, ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com to show your support and get all of our content ad-free. I'm your host, Steve Taylor, and it's been a pleasure. Thank you again for letting us into your homes, your hearts, and your heads for the past 100 weeks. Here's to 100 more. Tune in again next week when we once again turn off the lights and turn on the dark. Sweet dreams, listener. Sweet dreams. <laughs>Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. You can live out your MasterChef dreams when you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that.